0: Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Lay Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. How does religion affect our sex lives? On the one hand, many religious belief systems restrict sexual expression, dictating what is and is not allowed. For example, in some belief systems, penile-vaginal intercourse within the confines of a monogamous marriage is the only form of sex deemed acceptable. In many cases, this leads to feelings of sexual guilt and shame because people may have desires for other activities, or they may have engaged in behaviors deemed immoral, which can create this distressing psychological conflict between their sexuality and their religion. On the other hand, some religions view sex as a sacred, holy act, something that actually brings you closer to your partner and to God at the same time. And it turns out that this is something that can actually boost sexual satisfaction in some married couples. So there isn't just one effect of religion on sex. It can cut in many ways. So let's explore the intersection of sex and religion we're going to talk about potential positive and negative effects of religion in people's sex lives. We're also going to discuss how therapists balance religious and sexual identity in the therapeutic process when conflicts arise, as well as how to address religious diversity in sex education. Dr. Eric Sprankle returns to help us answer these questions. Eric is an associate professor of clinical psychology and the co-director of the sexuality studies program at Minnesota State University, Mankato. He's also a licensed clinical psychologist and ASEC certified sex therapist who is currently finishing up his first book titled DIY, The Wonderfully Weird History and Science of Masturbation. This is going to be a really fascinating and important conversation. So stick around and we're gonna jump in right after the break. The Kinsey Institute at Indiana University has been investigating issues of sex, gender, and relationships for 75 years. To commemorate the Institute's 75th anniversary, they will be hosting events all throughout the year, including art exhibitions, research lectures, a book club, dance performances, and much more. Visit their website at kinseyinstitute.org or follow them on social media for the latest details. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Kinsey Institute. Let's talk about sexuality and religion. There are a lot of people who seem to take the view that religion inherently harms our sex lives, in part because many religious belief systems impose certain restrictions on sexual expression, where they deem certain sexual thoughts and behaviors to be immoral or sinful, and that can create feelings of shame. However, there's actually a very complex link between religiosity and sex, and the effects vary based on how sex is situated within a given religion. So let's explore that. Now, as a starting point, as a sex therapist, can you tell us a little bit about when and how religion comes up in the therapy office? So how often do people show up with sexual difficulties or problems that stem in some way from religiosity or their religious belief system?
1: Quite frequently. And so either they're what I would consider like religious leftovers, right? So the individual as an adult is either atheist, agnostic, or at least like not religious. It's not really important for them as an adult, but they grew up in a, in a pretty religious uh, household and, and upbringing. And so they they brought that with them. So even though they can dismiss a lot of the what they would consider like fairy tales now with some of their religious beliefs, the moral kind of messages that they received, especially about sexuality, those just don't easily like go away. Even if you are dismissing more of the, you know, actual belief systems with the religion of your origin. So it was dealing with a lot of these religious leftovers and kind of reclaiming what your religious, or sorry, your sexual values now are, Um, apart from those religious sexual values that were imposed on you as a child, That now that you're an adult, you can create your own value system as it pertains to sexuality that's not tethered to this more conservative religion of your upbringing, then what do you want to tether to it now? And kind of work with them of of kind of creating their own value system and it that's connected to us a specific school of thought or if it's just kind of their own values based on just being a decent human being. So that's one thing. Other things for individuals who are religious coming into therapy, yeah, that can certainly be a barrier. They may not be aware of it in the moment, but, you know, the course of assessment and a couple of sessions into therapy... It starts to become apparent that some of the religious sexual messages that they've received are playing out in a negative way, typically in, in the form of inhibiting sexual functioning. So they're just getting in their head a little bit about what's right, what's wrong. Is this the sin? Should I be doing this? Should I not be? And it's impacting how their body's responding to sexual stimulation. So in the form of you know arousal difficulties or orgasmic difficulties. And then for others who are, are more... Um, you know, conservative or fundamentalist with their religious beliefs, it, it impacted what they were able to do in terms of treatment to intervention. So masturbation is often utilized in sex therapy as as part of intervention for helping with sexual functioning difficulties, as well as kind of increasing just someone's sexual repertoire if it's just focused on penile vaginal intercourse for the purpose of orgasm. How can we go beyond kind of that narrow sexual script and start exploring some other behaviors? Well, that's challenging when the the patient lets you know that their religion and that they want to abide by prohibits masturbation, it prohibits oral sex. And so our options for intervention for this uh, sexual dysfunction become less and less. We just have limited options now of what we're going to be working with. And ironically, like those prohibitions are creating or at least perpetuating some of the the problem as to why they're, they're seeking therapy. And not being able to deviate from that as part of intervention can really leave us with limited options. But it's ultimately, you know, respecting client autonomy of like what are their values coming into therapy and how can we do our best to help them working within their specific value system.
0: I appreciate that very thorough and comprehensive answer. And you totally anticipated my next question, which was going to be about what are the specific ways that religion might have that negative impact on someone's sexuality. And I think you make a really great point that sometimes even when you yourself are not at a point in your life where you are religious, you can have those carryover effects from religious influences earlier in life. And some people do have this very difficult time shedding them. And I think that just speaks more broadly to how early influences on us sexually, whether they're religious or parental or other features of the environment that we grew up in, those can have this profound impact on how we navigate our sexuality for the rest of our lives. And then if you are somebody who currently identifies as religious, you know, that is a whole other set of issues. And I really appreciate you bringing up the point about how not only can this sometimes lead to or contribute to certain sexual problems, but it can also limit what you can do therapeutically. I think a lot of people wouldn't have necessarily thought about that later part, but that can make the job of a therapist a little bit more challenging. And, you know, this is something I wanted to talk about a little bit more because I know that part of the job of a therapist is to be affirming and validating of your client's religious and spiritual beliefs and to incorporate them into that therapeutic process as appropriate, even if those beliefs are drastically different from your own. Although, of course, we know some therapists do impose their own morality on their patients, even though that's you know not something they're supposed to do by the accredited organizations. But I have to imagine that this is pretty complicated if you've got somebody who has a very strongly held religious belief system that's just incompatible with their sexuality. For example, if someone has these strongly held religious beliefs that are very disapproving of homosexuality, but that individual has same-sex attractions, how do you balance this in the therapeutic process? So can you tell us a little bit about how you navigate this complicated terrain in a therapeutic setting?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's a, a good framing of it. It is very complex. It's, it's walking some fine lines right, with ethics because with client autonomy, you do have to respect your client's religious beliefs. What gets missed from that conversation, though, um, to my disappointment, is that also respecting your client's sexuality as equally important to their religious beliefs. I think sometimes we put religion as kind of like this untouchable thing and we try to fit the sexuality around the religious beliefs. I was like, well, why can't it be this dance of like a little bit movement in in both because both are very important uh, to the individual and both are parts of their senses of self, both religious beliefs as well as their sexuality. So I'm not going to favor or value one over the other in terms of like, from, from the role of the therapist. So I view both as part of client autonomy and how can I respect both aspects of client autonomy and just help try to decrease this conflict. So I've had a patient before in which much to, to your example, it was pretty similar. He was, he was a gay man, grew up in a very, very strict Baptist house, and he still identified to a certain extent with that religious belief. Like he would still be actively watching like John Hagee is kind of a televangelist pastor and you know haggie would often you know talk about you know how homosexuality is a sin and and so here is this religious leader in which this patient admires and looks up to and believes in hearing that this person is saying this other part of you, your sexuality is wrong, it's immoral, it's unhealthy, it's sinful, you're on hell, all these nasty things, right? And so he's sitting with this conflict. It certainly contributed to his worsening mood episodes he Had suicidal ideation directly related to this as well. So it's a serious, has like you know, high stakes um, outcomes. And so with this, one important thing to kind of think of is that, well, a, a few things here. One is that if we're viewing both religion and sexuality kind of on an equal playing field, and one's not better than the other in terms of what's important for the client, then we need to start exploring, is there movement in one area, right? Movement in the area of like denying sexual orientation, it's conversion therapy, and it's, you know, malpractice in a lot of jurisdictions as as it should be. And kind of moving somebody away from a religious orientation is, could also be considered unethical practice of not respecting client autonomy. So you really just have to be a, do a good job of just kind of raising questions, pointing out this conflict, and having them kind of brainstorm, well, how, how do I resolve this for myself? And you can point out other things, especially like with the religious thing of like, you know, religion, it's what we make out of it, right? We can choose what kind of religion that we want even within like Catholicism, even within being Baptist. Not all Baptists are the same, not all Catholics are the same. It is really kind of choose your own adventure. It is cherry picking, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of use that word negatively, but that's just the the nature of any kind of belief system. We're going to pick the things that fit well and kind of like, Dismiss the stuff that we just feel is archaic, but it's really just kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to live my life in that way, so that's archaic it's it's more of symbolic language uh, that was being used in scripture and not to be taken literally all these other things, but this thing that's that's what I'm taking literal you know we kind of joke about like you know that's not true faith, but that's just the reality of how you know most individuals approach religious belief, so why can't that be done in these cases, so why hold on to those? passages in Leviticus so strongly about the condemnation of uh, homosexuality, when other parts of Leviticus, you have no problem dismissing as just being archaic, right? Things about tattoos, uh, multi-fabric clothing, all these other things, you have no problem dismissing and not living accordingly. Why did you focus specifically on that? And then that becomes the clinical issue of why they're focused and hanging on to one biblical verse, but dropping the other. And then ultimately, too, it's important to kind of point out that you know what you're struggling with isn't really a sexual problem. It's a religious problem. right? Take religion out of the equation and there's no sexual problem. So a lot of people come into therapy thinking that they have a sexual disorder, that they're a sexual deviant, addict, offender, whatever the language that they're using. But none of that's true. It's this conflict between their sexuality and their religion, and it falls more on like this is a religious issue for you this is you don't have a sexual disorder this is just a conflict with your religious beliefs and what are we going to do about that
0: it is such a complex complicated issue and i imagine it's going to be extremely different in a therapeutic setting depending on whether you're working with a client who is a literalist in terms of how they're interpreting scripture or religious documents versus someone who might see some of these things as being more open to interpretation and i'm thinking for example of my 85 year old catholic grandmother when i initially came out a long time ago She was somebody who had gone to church every single week for her entire life, and the only time she ever missed church was when she was in the hospital with a health problem, and she felt incredibly guilty about not going. And so she had a very strongly held religious belief in Catholicism, very devout. And, you know, for me, coming out was a challenge to that. And I remember distinctly, this is one of my favorite moments in my life, was shortly after coming out, my grandma called me, and she wanted to take me out to lunch and she came to my house and picked me up and we sat there at lunch in this diner full of senior citizens and she told me that God makes man in his image and God doesn't make mistakes and you're not a mistake and so she found a way within her religious belief system to accept me and You know, I think that that's something that a lot of people can do in this therapeutic process where they have these conflicts is find some way of integrating those two things where it can lead to that sort of positive outcome. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have to abandon your religion in order to make these things work together. But anyway. Enough about me. So, we know that religion can have this big impact on people's sexuality, but it also has a big impact on sex education. You know, many sex ed programs are taught from an abstinence only perspective. In part, that's because a lot of the people who are developing these courses might have certain religious beliefs, but also there are a lot of teachers who don't want to offend parents who might have very conservative beliefs themselves. And sex ed often caters to the more conservative side, but In doing so, it does a disservice to people who have very different belief systems. So, my question, my curiosity, and maybe you don't have an answer for it, maybe you do, is how can we make sex ed something that is sensitive to religious diversity when people have so many different views on these issues? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So, these these are the three hats that I wear, right? Um, I have the clinical hat that works with the individual. And when it comes to religious issues, right? doesn't matter what my personal religious beliefs are, the focus is on the client's religious beliefs, and I'll work within that value system. I'll affirm them, and if religion is the greatest thing in the world to them, great. Let's figure out how you can be more involved in your religious community to to have those protective and positive factors and outcomes for you. On the educational level, if I'm teaching a class, you know, 100 students, I'll just present the information of what we know about religion and its intersections with sexuality. Here's how it can have some benefit. Here's how it can have some pretty nasty negative impacts, right? And then on more of the advocacy side, so like the third hat, right, is where kind of my, my own personal expression can come out. And I view, again, it's my personal opinion, that religion is a net negative that it does more harm than good on a society level in relation to the sexuality and, and sexual health. And so those are just, and so my focus then on the advocacy level would be get it out completely of its influence in in public policy, including sex education. Sex education shouldn't be Christian sex education outside of like private Christian schools, but for the public schools it should not just be Christian sexual values that are being taught. So in the education level, right, so back to that second hat, how this can actually play out in public schools it's not completely ignoring the fact that people are religious or that there are religious values, but educating that here are some Christian sexual values, and this is where this comes from is primarily with the the belief that God created your genitals for for one specific purpose to express marital love and for the hopes for having uh, you know pregnancies. So that's just one view, though. Other religions view sexuality in this way. Atheists, agnostics, non-religious people view sexuality this way. So it's really just about exposing, you know, students to all different types of belief systems um, at the intersection of religion and sexuality and seeing which one fits best for them as they move forward and make sure that they have the skills and the tools to be able to communicate and have the insight to know what they want, be able to communicate that to partners if that's desired. So that's all education is, is just giving you the knowledge. It's not telling you this is how you have to live your life. And that's unfortunately the message that this most you know commonly out there of these are the christian sexual values that if we're going to have any type of sex ed it has to reflect this very narrow belief system
0: i think that's a great way of putting it and that's really been my philosophy being a sex educator and you know being a college educator and professor more generally is i want to give you all the information all the different perspectives and it's up to you to choose your own path and figure out what is right for you it's not me telling you how to think and how you should be and I think it sounds like the therapeutic process is very much that same way it's working with the client to help them figure out the path that is right for them as opposed to you the therapist saying this is what you have to do and how you need to integrate your identities or drop certain identities and and so forth so I appreciate you sharing that. Now, we know that many religions dictate that anything other than penile vaginal intercourse within the context of a heterosexual monogamous marriage is immoral, but we know that not all religions take a very restrictive view of what sex is supposed to be. So can you give us some examples of religions that might be a little bit more sex positive and maybe take a more expansive view of what is allowed in terms of sexual expression?
1: Sure. So kind of what I was alluding to earlier of like religion can be choose your own adventure. You can find examples within every, you know, religion and denomination of religion, including Catholicism and Mormonism, in which Mormons and Catholics have created a sexual value system that is very progressive. You know, it, it does deviate from the very simple message that God created, you know, your genitals for one specific purpose, and a deviation from that is a sin. Right So that, that's pretty straightforward. so reinterpreting that does require some mental gymnastics and some even like secularization of these religious beliefs and, and values, but it's done all the time, right? And so there's certainly a lot of you know Catholics and Mormons and uh, even uh, conservative Jews and Muslims that have created a sexual value system that is based within their religion but also very progressive, right? but i wouldn't argue that and i think they would agree that those religions were always that way or the fundamental of that religion supports that belief right Th- this is this is a progression an evolution of those uh, religious beliefs but one um, that i'm familiar with because i've done research in this area for the past like 4 years now is modern satanism if we want to like swing the pendulum in the complete opposite direction. Um, They have been an organization, uh, a new religious movement that started in 1966. And from the outset, they have been pretty sex positive, right? It's pretty much anything goes as long as there's consent. And there's actually a lot of kind of nuanced understanding of what consent is. That was written in the Satanic Bible in 1969, surprisingly so, with some of the nuance even getting into like some power dynamics and how that can compromise consent. But it's pretty much don't deprive yourself of pleasure just because society says there's a taboo attached to it, just because religion says that you're going to hell. Modern Satanism is an atheistic religion, so they don't believe in God, they don't believe in the devil, and of course they don't believe in heaven and hell. So it is really just about the here and now. What do we know about these behaviors? Are they healthy? Are they healthy for me? That's what's the driving force behind satanic
0: sexuality. I appreciate you sharing that because I think a lot of people, when they hear the term Satanism, think of devil worship, and that's, clearly not what it is (laughs) but yeah so as you described there are different segments of some of the big long established religions that are more progressive in terms of their sexual values and so for some people it might be finding those communities or resources within them i was actually on the mormon sex podcast a few years ago that natasha helfer runs and it's a resource for mormons navigating issues of sexuality and you know, when I told people I was going to be on the Mormon sex podcast, that people are like, that's a thing, right? So I think part of it is just that there's not a lot of awareness of some of these different resources that are out there that can help people who are sort of navigating that complex terrain of religion and sexuality. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they definitely exist. I mean, there's a lot of middle area, different hashtags that you may see being used as like faithfully LGBT, so the LGBT community that's, that still has uh, connections to some type of faith community. Typically, a faith community of origin too is just, you know, reinterpreted that, that fits them a little bit better. So there's definitely work that is being done and bridges that are being built uh, between those, those communities. I, I tend to be on the other side of the bridge, uh, more focused on atheism, agnostics, those who have left religion behind and now are trying to figure out what their sexual values are apart from that childhood uh, God assigned to them at birth. Uh, But I know there are a a lot of work that's being done in the middle there of people who are still religious.
0: So we've talked about some of the ways that religiosity can have negative impacts on people's sex lives, but what about positive impacts? Are there any ways that religion can, for example, promote greater sexual satisfaction?
1: it can be if it, if it's incorporated into the religious belief that sexuality is important for this reason and then similarly to, the, to like the the talk on like porn addiction and stuff it's really about is there congruence then between values and behavior right so you can find this across like any kind of religious belief regardless of like how conservative or progressive it is so even if you go into the the very, very conservative fundamentalist's view of what sexuality is, right? This God-given gift to only be used for the purpose of expressing marital love and having children, that everything else is off-limits, right, so if you're engaging in behavior that's off-limits, you're gonna have some distress over that. But if you're having sex according to God's commandment, right you're married, you're having this expression of marital love, you're not using birth control, so a pregnancy could happen, you're fulfilling God's commandment of human sexuality. And in those cases, yeah, sex can have, you know, high levels of satisfaction, it's not gonna create distress because you are living according to your values. And so similarly, whatever your views on sex and religious beliefs are, if sex is sacred in some other way, even outside of that very kind of narrow script within like Catholicism and Mormonism, that as long as you're living accordingly, right, that your behaviors line up with your value system, then sex is going to have more of that religious or even spiritual meaning that could contribute to higher levels of satisfaction because you're having the kind of sex that you want to be having.
0: And that is what we see in the research. I think pretty much all the work that has looked at the positive effects of religion on sexuality looks at sex within the context of marriage. You know, outside of marriage, that's going to be a whole other issue. But in terms of a heterosexual monogamous marriage where sex is seen as sacred within that religious system, it's sanctioned by God, it serves as this holy act that helps couples bond. That's linked to increase sexual satisfaction so that's why at the top of the show i talked about how the effects of religion on sexuality are complex depend a lot on the specific religious belief system and the way that it's incorporated into the individual's practices and in their intimate life now we're running short on time but something else i wanted to ask you about is all right we know a lot of people struggle with navigating issues of religion and sexuality and if people want to find help if they want to find a therapist to help them work through this how do they do that in a way that's going to ensure that there's a therapist who is affirming of them and i say this because it's a complex issue i've heard some therapists say that they won't treat clients who have different value systems than they do, which to me sounds a bit like malpractice uh, because, you know, we need to be there to serve anybody. So how can you try and best navigate this issue of finding the right person to give you the help that you need?
1: Yeah, I've been seeing those conversations on Twitter lately too, and they're just, yeah, they're bad. (laughs) Like So it's like essentially you have to give you know, some type of pre-screening test to your clients to make sure that all of your political, sociopolitical and religious beliefs align so to be able to treat them. It's like, that's not your job. Like your job is to treat them wherever they are, whatever they're bringing into the therapy room. So not only do I think it's practical to do that, but I think it's, you know, can easily get into unethical practice pretty quickly with uh, therapist bias coming out. But yeah, for from the client perspective, finding a therapist that would be affirming to to wherever you are currently with relating to religious beliefs or sexuality, you know, there there are a lot of options. So if you if you look at just like a, a large therapist directory, like a Psychology Day or something like that, where you can look all across the country. Put in different characteristics, practical ones of just like location, is it telehealth or in person, do they take my insurance, stuff like that. You can also check off things that relates to other demographic variables that may be important for you. So you want them to have experience working with your type of religious beliefs or they they are um, also a member of the or affiliated with the type of religion that you want them to be affiliated with. So you can select based on that if, if that is of value to you. Research that I've done on, on Satanists looking at, you know, desired characteristics, it was, the, the, the one that was rated the least important was a shared identity. And so it wasn't important. It was for a couple of, of, of our participants. For the vast majority of our 1,200 participants that we uh, assessed, very few really cared whether or not their therapist was also a Satanist. Uh, what was most important, and which I would imagine this is true regardless of religious belief, or anything else for that matter, is that the the therapist demonstrates cultural humility, that they don't make assumptions about their, their patient's culture, where they're coming from, their beliefs, that they approach it with curiosity, they are inquisitive, they ask questions about it, they don't know something, and they allow their clients to tell their own stories about what's values, uh, their own religious or sexual values to them. That's what's most important, right? So, A lot of times you won't be able to see that in therapist directory listings. Specifically, I would look for words like affirmative or affirming. That's some kind of more modern usage language to kind of convey or to communicate that, hey, I am open to seeing patients that are within this religious group or within this sexual community without judgment and I'll affirm your identity where you are. For those who are really concerned about getting proselytized, too, uh, because that has happened and that does happen, unfortunately, where a therapist, regardless of the client's religious affiliation, would recommend praying, going to church as a conceptualization that their mental illness is being caused by something spiritual in nature. So all these very unethical practices, right? So if that's a significant concern of you, there is a group that I used to be affiliated with. I'm not now the Secular Therapy Project. They have a directory that in order for a therapist to be on the directory, they have to be independently licensed, they have to be secular themselves, and they can only use uh, empirically based interventions, right? empirically supported treatments. So more of a guarantee that you're not going to be proselytized to, because of course it's not religious to begin with, and they're only going to be using interventions that have some evidence behind them and not some spiritual kind of stuff that uh, you wouldn't want to to be looking for in the first place so there are some resources out there either that's secular therapy project or just through like a large directory like psychology today and looking for those specific variables that you can check in
0: your search thank you for sharing all of that and i think one other piece to add to that is that You're allowed to interview your therapist before you commit to having, say, a long-term therapeutic relationship with someone because navigating this issue of religion and sexuality is something that might take some time. And so you want to make sure that you're investing in a person who's going to be able to help you the best. So you can have an initial meeting or consultation and you can talk to them a bit about what your values are and where you are, ask them questions and make sure that it's a good fit before you start going down that path so thank you so much for this amazing conversation eric it was a pleasure to have you here can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work
1: yeah primarily right now um prior to the book getting released i'm just on social media so instagram and twitter at dr sprankle and i also have a website i don't know what's on there anymore it's like drsprankle.com i'm sure that'll be used a little bit more once um, i'm finished with the book and starting to to push that out there into the world
0: well, we can't wait till the book comes out. It's called DIY, The Wonderfully Weird History and Science of Masturbation. So thank you again for your time and thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Lee Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Lee Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.